welcome back to Create Out Loud with me, Jennifer Loudon, national bestselling author and writing coach. You can find out more about me at jenniferloudon.com. Today we have a special bonus episode. I'm not making regular episodes right now for the podcast. My last episode, if you caught it, was about burnout and what we can do about it and what I'm doing about it. But I had to record a bonus episode with Shannon Watts. I am her book coach on her new book that she's working on that will come out in 2025. And if you don't know Shannon Watts, oh my gosh, you'll want to know Shannon Watts. Shannon is the founder, just stepped down and handed over the reins of Moms Demand Action, the largest grassroots group, women-led, fighting against gun violence in the United States with almost 10 million supporters. She also has a huge social media platform and an amazing voice for gun violence prevention. And now as we're, she's making the transition, I'm helping her with the book part of making the transition, to talking about how as women we can tend our sparks and overcome our fears of really doing the thing that is calling us next. She was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in 2023, a Glamour Woman of the Year, and she's been lauded and endorsed by celebrities from and journalists and, and politicians from Hillary Clinton to Nancy Pelosi to Oprah Winfrey. So tune in right now and listen to what Shannon has to say about her next chapter in her life and how she is creating out loud. One of the things I wanted to jump right into is that you're in this big transition from being the founder and leader of Moms Demand Action, and you're working on a book. We're working on a book, and I'm coaching you with that, and 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 a speaking career, and your Substack, perhaps a podcast, to ignite women's inner spark so they can do that thing that burns inside of them, even if they're not sure what it is. I want to know what's the most fun part of this transition. When I heard you saying that list of things, it it made me laugh because I had committed to taking a year off after stepping back from Moms to Be in Action. And then you listed this whole thing of all the things I'm doing. And I thought, wow, I'm not very good at relaxing. So I just have to tell everybody that when you and I started working together, you crashed the book proposal for the book. And I've never seen anybody write a book proposal that fast. So no, you're, you're not good at taking time off. <laughs> so what's that about? Let's talk about that for a second, though, because I know there's people listening who are nodding their heads going, yeah, I was supposed to take that sabbatical. Or <laughs> I, I think it's two things. One is I am a very driven type A person. Mm. I want to be learning. I want to be doing. I want to be participating. I, I think that's a positive thing. I think then the the flip side of that, which is the second thing, and that is I'm a little addicted to busyness. Mm-hmm. I think my brain is slightly broken mm-hmm. based on what I've done for the last nearly 11 years and being on social media so much, mm-hmm. being online. And so I'm not sure I know how to be still. At some point that will come. You know, this book is due in in the spring of 25, summer, spring of 25. No, it's due before that. That's when it comes out. <laughs> okay, okay. Just to get clear. <laughs> okay. Just doesn't think we have that much time. <laughs> it's, it, it will be out then. It will be due before then. But like, hopefully there's going to be at some point a, a time of stillness. Mm. Unless I just keep, you know, accumulating these things to do. I don't think I'm quite as driven as you are, but I am... I, I have this reflection from my husband who's like, why can't you just do nothing? And it's very hard for me. And I'm trying to learn to at first not feel shame about it mm-hmm. because I feel like part of 
the spark work that you're going to help us do in this book and your talks and the Substack and everything else, we have to embrace who we are and how we were. I mean, that doesn't mean like I just get to run myself ragged if that's making me sick. But if we're thriving and that doesn't fit what other people are telling us thriving is supposed to look like, what works for my creative process? And I think giving ourselves permission to try things and then stop them. I'm thinking you mentioned a podcast and it made me laugh because there was a podcast I loved, Joe Scarborough, you know, from Morning oh, yes. Joe. Yeah. He did a podcast and I loved it, but he only did three episodes. You <laughs> <laughs> must have decided, you know, this is not my spark. So I think we also, and particularly as women, have to give ourselves permission to try the things that seem interesting. And then if ultimately they're not where our passion lies or our skill set or you know, whatever it is. I I think we have to be able to also say, it's not a failure to stop doing that. We tried it. We didn't like it. We're going to do something else or do nothing. I have a friend who who says women uh, should either do less or do more, but they have to do different. You know, I do think there is something to that idea of we don't really know unless we try stuff. So my darlings, if you listened to my last episode, I told you that, yes, I had walked away from the podcast. I'm going to do the occasional episode like this because I am writing a novel and enjoying it immensely. And I want to just pause with you for a moment. Is there something that is coming up for you right now that you need to quit, but you feel conflicted about it because you're going to let people down or you're worried about it as a source of income? Is that something that it's time to put some energy to get some support around? Those transitions of quitting are, as I said in my last episode, super scary. But if we don't tend to them with consciousness and support and compassion, they can drag us down into deep why bother times. And we don't want that. I think there's such a message in our culture. You have to do something and quitting is bad. And like, who says? Who gets to define what quitting is? But it's all like we're talking about messages that are bad, right? And I I think this is interesting because I recently had a conversation with Dr. Kristen Neff about self-compassion. It's bad if we're relaxing. It's bad if we're doing too much. It's bad if, you know, what is good? We have to realize only we can decide that. So I want to go back to my question. What's fun about this transition that isn't a sabbatical or a year off? I am having fun. I thought there was going to be a lot more suffering. Oh. I thought disentangling my identity mm-hmm. from mom's demand action, right? Something that I am known for now mm-hmm. after doing this for 11 years, gun violence, all of those things, obviously I'm still passionate about, obviously is my legacy and I will always have an affinity for And I certainly have had moments where I thought, who am I? What's Mm -hmm. next? How do I fill this void? But it was not as intense as I thought it was going to be. Now, you could say that's because I'm busy. I also think that I've I've rediscovered my love of writing, whether that's Mm -hmm. writing for the book or writing for Substack. It's really what I thought I would end up doing as an adult. I thought I was going to be an investigative journalist. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get through the journalism program at the University of Missouri because of my ADHD. So I got a degree in sociology instead, but I feel like I'm still using those skills. I use them with Moms in Action. I'm using them now. So I think what's exciting is that at 52, I get to rediscover what I'm passionate about. And and just to be perfectly frank, I left it all on the field with Moms in Action. I had nothing left to say. I had nothing new to bring 
I I really did, I think, give a lot of juice to that work. And at some point, it was just out. And so there's also a little bit of a relief of, I get to try something different. Just note between you and I, that needs to be in the book. When do you let go so the next spark can come? Because part of the message in the book is you get different sparks. If we don't keep exploring our sparks, even if it's for three episodes of a podcast or 11 years of you know leadership, if we don't notice what's coming next or, or create the cold fire so we can light a new spark, I don't know, I'm maybe beating this metaphor to death. That's where that burnout, that dry, horrible, why bother place comes from. Well, you bring up a really interesting point. And uh, we probably should talk about this as I write the book, because <laughs> I almost wonder if we have a spark. So Mm. mine from birth was this interest in research, this interest in journalism. Advocacy. Yes, in activists, right? Mm -hmm. I was taught the women who passed through or lived in my town of Rochester, New York, were heroes. That has always been the through line of my spark. The fires that I can create using that spark will be different, I think, throughout my lifetime, whether it's Moms Demand Action or this book or speaking or empowering women, whatever that is. There are times in my life where my spark was there, but I didn't nurture it. I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. I didn't tend to it because mm-hmm. I was busy with kids or a marriage or my job. And this is very privileged. I get to examine what that spark is and what are the fires that I can continue to create. You know, it's this idea that we've talked about a living a life where you start a million different little fires. Mm-hmm. I, I hope there are many left in my lifetime. You're a good fire starter. But this question is, do we have one spark? It reminds me of that. There's a poem about the thread, the thread that runs through everything. I just cut out a bunch of me bumbling about not remembering the poem. It is The Way It Is by William Stafford. And it is one of my favorite poems. I'm going to perhaps do a little copyright issue here and just read it to you. I hope, Bill, from wherever you are in heaven or scattered around the world with your poetry, you don't mind. The Way It Is by William Stafford. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you're pursuing. You have to explain about the thread, but it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. Now, Shannon didn't hear me read this poem. It may be very different what she thinks about the spark, but it'll be something for you to think about and for Shannon and I to explore while we're developing this wonderful book. But is there one thread? Is there one spark that has a certain quality or consistency or theme to it or not. I mean, I think I have a spark that's always been about you can do it. Why can't you do it? It's not too late. That's been more of the theme of my work lately, but it's the same thing. It's like, of course. Which makes you the perfect coach, right? And you can take that spark of you can do it and apply it in a million different ways. And you also jogged something inside me, which is, you know, we have this mutual friend, Susan Piver. And speaking of my dear friend, Susan Piper, you can listen to a fantastic episode with Susan on this podcast, Create Out Loud. It is episode number 13. She has written brilliant books about Buddhism and the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And she says, even as a young age, she would lay in bed 
and see numbers over her head. Her spark was the Enneagram. It was Mm -hmm. the system of numbers and personality. Mm -hmm. Before she knew what it even was. Right. I find that fascinating. And I think we make it more difficult than it needs to be. And we want it to be more original than it is. I I wonder if it's also helpful to have a lifetime to look back on. Like you and Mm -hmm. I are in our 50s. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm 60, but thank you. You're 60. (laughs) You look amazing. But you, you look back at your life and you think, why was I obsessed with Watergate? as a child. Yes. yes. (laughs) Do I go down a rat hole on Ancestry.com doing Mm -hmm. research for fun? Why did I spend hours and hours in my bedroom reading the thesaurus? That was my pleasure reading as a child, the thesaurus. I love you. (laughs) I wanted to know what words could be used as other words, you know, Mm -hmm. but, and then even more practically, why did I go into a career where I spent thousands and thousands of hours writing press releases and speeches for politicians? And then you look at the the nexus of all those things. You look at the culmination of all those things. And it is how I started Moms to Be in Action. Book coach hat on for a second, but that's really important for us to put in that story about starting Moms to Be in Action, that sort of ability to step back now and look at what do the sparks of your life have in common? And yes, they can take fire form that don't nourish you or that fires that are burned out appropriately, like you leading Moms Demand Action, that doesn't change anything. It's not a mistake. Yep. I think that's another thing we do is we judge it. It's supposed to look like, it's supposed to look linear and, and every fire is bigger and every fire makes us rich and famous. And what's the part of this transition that's stretching you the most? I would say one thing is how to fill my day. And maybe I should put that differently. It's sort of how to manage my day. Okay. You know, I had a whole team for a decade mm-hmm. that would say, you be here at this time. Mm-hmm. You go online at this time. You get on mm-hmm. the phone at this time. Mm-hmm. You're going to this state in this city at this time. Mm-hmm. And now it's up to me every day. I wake up and I have to figure out how to allocate my time. And I find that I wake up and suddenly it's 6 p.m. And I still haven't accomplished all the things that I need to get done. It may be in part my ADHD, but I... Working with our time as creatives is a huge part of our work. And we need to have so much mercy for ourselves. We all have very different brains. I'm very neurodiverse. I have been self-employed, making my living, supporting my family for something like 34 years. Long before it was common to work at home, I was a weirdo. It was really hard to get health insurance. And now it's something that so many of us as knowledge workers and after the pandemic are dealing with. And I wrote an article, if you go to jenniferloudon.com blogs, articles recently about how I use my time and how I deal with that overwhelm. And a few things that I do is I let every day be different. I don't have anything rigid about my morning ritual or routines. This is just me, of course. It may rigidity or uh, consistency rather may work much better for you. But every day is different for me because I have different things I'm doing every day. So I try to honor that by planning the day before. I'm really, really a big believer in using an app called Todoist. And I do a lot of organizing of my to-do list. What can I actually do tomorrow? And I only put things on that list I know I can get done no matter what and that are really clear. They're never projects. So I don't say do some social media to promote my retreats. We're filling up our 2023 retreats in Taos and the East Coast. They're wonderful writing retreats for all genres, all levels of writers, completely transformational. And if I just put on my list, 
market retreats or make social media about retreats. And I look at that, I'm going to bleh. So the day before, I try to do a little brainstorming, even if it's just a minute or two, like make a reel about what my retreats are not like or share a testimonial or, you know, reach out to so-and-so to have them share, you know, and it, it gives my brain something to ping off of, even if I come up with something creative or different. I also am a really big believer in afternoon naps. <laughs> I keep wondering when I'm going to hit that sweet spot of waking up and then feeling like I did when I was with Moms to in Action, which is, oh, I've got this mapped out and it makes sense and it's productive. And I even have time to relax. And I imagined when I retired that I would be spending a lot of time reading, mm -hmm. fixing my brain, mm -hmm. uh, being outside. And those things have not materialized. I mean, for me, I've had to learn how to be that person. I have to be the one who creates the schedule for myself and is always imperfect for sure. I think that's also the nature of being a writer. What aspect of your identity are you having to develop in this stage as a writer and creator? Is there some part of you that you're like, I'm allowed to, I now have to be, give myself permission to do that? Or is there a new way of seeing yourself? I would say that also is a little bit of a double-edged sword, which is on one hand, I have a lot of freedom. You know, I recently wrote this piece that went viral about what I learned as a white woman in the gun safety movement. Those are not things that I probably could have said as the head of Moms to Me in Action because there will be white women who will be turned off by that. That's not something you want to do when you're leading an army of grassroots volunteers. Now as an observer, now as a third party, you know, who can step back and, and look at that, I can, I can say those things and there really aren't any consequences for me. But at the same time, there is this feeling of if I have a book coming out 2025, I really have to keep staying in the public eye, continuing to promote myself so that I can promote this book. You know, that is in itself sort of a, a full-time job. I feel like I could hear the gasps of people listening who want to write books, who have books coming out, who have businesses, who have creative endeavors, art, et cetera, about, oh my God, you mean I should be working my social media and my marketing all of the time and it's a full-time job. Shannon is in a very unique position. She has a giant, like I think combined 100 million followers, right? So it's very different how she feels she needs to tend it. And that's been part of her job as Moms Demand Action to be on there and tending it and responding. So learning a different way, maybe dialing it down, I think might be part of this transition for her. We'll see. That's up to her, of course. But for you, don't take this as, oh my God, oh my God, I just have to, you know, I have to have such a huge social media, blah, blah, everything marketing machine or I can never make a living as a creative if that's important to you because it's not true. There's lots and lots of ways to approach it. It depends so much on your personality, on what you're trying to get out there in the world. And I think first and foremost, it's always about connection. I'm working on this with my clients, my coaching clients all of the time. How do you connect with those? How do you build a platform in a way that is fun and sustainable and real for you? It is possible and it doesn't have to be a full-time job. So I just wanted to reassure you in case that remark freaked you out. <laughs> so it is freeing, but it is also trying to navigate, you know, what is it to create a new brand and a new identity? Uh, speaking of that post, which is a fabulous post, y'all, um, and you can find it on the on um, Shannon's Substack, 
one of the things that really struck me in reading it was how you had so much humility and openness. Now, I'm sure you didn't always feel that way in those years. That's something I really noticed about working with you is that you you don't have a lot of like defensiveness or like, I'm the expert. Why do you think that is? I mean, it feels like it's an important part of tending our spark. I will say it does not come naturally to me. I have to really work at it. I think there are people for whom that's just a state mm-hmm. of being. They're just not very fragile. So I certainly have ego that I have to put aside. And it isn't necessarily an instantaneous process. I think if you had asked me about this piece in you know five years in, in 2017, I would not have had the same perspective and mm-hmm. the ability to look at myself objectively. So I, I think that it's a little bit of a discipline. It's a little bit of a practice. It's a little maturity. You know, I want to be around and be with people who can be open and can Mm. look at themselves honestly, because how else do you keep learning and growing and just sort of evolving? So often the realization I have in meditation is if you just could drop your defenses a little bit faster, wow, life would be a lot more fun. One of the things you had to overcome in jumping into Mom's Demand Action is your lifelong struggle with ADHD that you've mentioned, being an introvert, really intense fear of public speaking. Good combination for a public leader, right? (laughs) It's true. This is like a lovely cocktail here. Can you remember a moment that you, you realized, I have to work with these things right now, or this fire that has started from my spark of a Facebook post that went viral is going to just die, or I, or it's going to keep going, but without me. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I was newly married when I started Moms Demand Action. I had three kids in grade school, one in high school, one in college. I had been spending my time the way I wanted to with my husband, who had taken a break from his career too. And here I was jumping into something that was going to make me busier than I'd ever been. Mm-hmm. In a way that you'd never been. In a way that I had never been. I I spent a lot of time crying on the floor of my closet in between all of the things I was doing because I did feel so overwhelmed. And I remember I called a friend and I said, I don't know if I can or want to do this. And she gave me permission not to. She said, you absolutely don't have to. Just hearing those words just mm. loosened something in me that I I wasn't being forced to do this. I think there's something in, in my personality that wants options. And when she said, this is an option, this is a choice, I decided to make that choice. I think that was a little bit of a breakthrough in terms of my ADHD. I mean, it is cliche, but it is my superpower. When there's a mass shooting, I can go and I do go down into a rabbit hole and I do not come back out for days or weeks. My husband has gotten used to this. This is not how his brain works, but he understands the value of it. I have all these stories in my head, right? Like it's an encyclopedia about things like gun violence. I mean, you could ask me right now, you know, tell me about a time uh, a woman was shot and killed who was pregnant in a certain state at a certain date, you know, and I could tell you. And that has enabled me to tell stories, which is a lot of what I've done over the last 11 years that make people sort of sit back and say, wow, this is happening mm-hmm where I live, how do I stop this? And and I think so. I think the ADHD part has been a benefit in the work I do, but maybe more of a drawback in personal relationships. Because Mm -hmm. when I go away, I go away. And I can be sitting next to you, but I am not there. 
In terms of the the fear of public speaking, I had this conversation with Samara Bay, who wrote the book Permission to Speak, which is so right. excellent. And I told her, like, if I knew that this role was going to involve public speaking, I probably would not have done it. That's how afraid I was of public speaking. And I can remember one of my first speeches, it was maybe the coldest day I'd ever experienced in Washington, D.C., weeks after Sandy Hook school shooting tragedy. And I was shaking so badly from a fear of speaking, but also the cold that I could not hold a cup of coffee in my hand. Like it doesn't help that I have an essential tremor too, but like I could not even hold something in my hands. What I've learned about that, it truly is correct that if you just practice something over and over again, your body stops that fight, flight or fight response. I could stand up in front of a crowd of thousands now and speak extemporaneously and my heart would hardly speed up. Wow! It just took years, probably Mm -hmm. a few years of practice till I, I got to that place. And then in terms of the introversion, it makes me a very strange leader, I think, because I don't go into a crowd and get energized. I don't love to glad hand. I don't love small talk, but I've learned how to turn that on. I can only do it for certain amounts of time. I can remember a time I went to a a meeting in Texas of particularly boisterous extroverted group of women who, you know, were just talking and talking and it was so loud and there was so much laughter. And there was like, I would say three hours in, I said, I have to go take a call. And I just sat in my car and I had to regroup and just breathe and just recompose myself because it was mm-hmm. taking everything out of me. Mm-hmm. So I learned over the years and and frankly, my team learned what my strengths and weaknesses were and how to make sure that I could recharge. And sometimes that meant staying in a different hotel mm-hmm. where an event was taking place because I could be alone. But again, that feels like a theme. One of the themes of our conversation, one of the themes of the book is that how do we learn to work with who we are? And if we fight who we are, or we shame who we are, or we let others shame who we are, how much harder it is to get that spark going. Oh, one of the things that we you haven't written about yet, but we've been working on, it's in the table of contents, is you've really taken a tremendous amount of fire <laughs> from cr- crazy people in the world. <laughs> and it continues today, right? You, you still get it. Um, and I think many people who know you and know your work or who will read this book will use that as a reason to not tend their spark because they're afraid of that happening. They're afraid of being public. I mean, so many of the writers I work with, I've told you this, just getting them to start talking about their work in some public way, testing their concepts is terrifying. You've been so bravely public in taking a stand for what you care about and taking the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. How do we manage that fear so it doesn't put our spark out? I guess I hope in a way, and I'm sure we'll write about this in the book, but I I hope that by fanning those flames and sort of living to tell the tale, it mm-hmm. sets an example for others that they can do the same. I think a lot of these people are mom, are, are men in their mom's basements who <laughs> you know have nothing better to do than to yeah. troll me online. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I have had people show up and make threats in real life, but I don't know if it's part personality or, as you said earlier, desensitization, but Mm -hmm. I just, not only does it not bother me anymore, I actually enjoy it. I actually revel in it. And it only, you know, it never makes me want to double back. It only makes me want to double down. It's like feeding a gremlin after midnight. I love that. It only makes me want to double down. One of the things I'm loving about the Substack is you're letting yourself write about all kinds of things. Like you just wrote this brilliant post. It'll, this went by the time y'all hear this podcast, so this will be a few weeks ago now. 
or months or years, depending on when you listen, it was about your marriage. And it was so inspiring to me and so beautifully written and so dead on. We wouldn't say that's part of what's going to be in the book because it's not. So you're letting yourself explore ideas. One, some of the advice we get out there is only write about one thing, especially on Substack. Be super focused. But I hate for advice because I think, again, it squelches people's creative spark. It doesn't allow them to explore what they care about. I'm a climate activist. I'm going to write about it as part of my my work or my voice in the world. So do you have any advice for people to allow themselves to explore their ideas more or to share them publicly and not think, oh, but it's not a brand or it's not a tidy package? I had the same fear. I, I Maybe I even still have that same fear, which is this is not cohesive. Is it going to turn off people who are coming to me for one thing and I give them mm-hmm. another? I have found the opposite. I've been probably posting to Substack now for you know a few months, and I'm trying to post every Monday a mm-hmm. piece that's at least a thousand words. And I do not come to the page in advance with an idea about what I'm going to write about. I just uh-huh. sort of let it flow, and then I go from there. I thought I was going to write about something completely different than marriage when I sat down at my computer. And I think what I'm learning is that you cultivate an audience that is interested in you personally. They're interested in what you have to say professionally. We contain multitudes. Mm-hmm. None of us live single issue lives. It also helps me be more creative, feel excited about writing. If someone sees a piece about activism and they say, oh, I come to her for the personal stuff, or someone says, oh, I don't want to read about her marriage. I come to her for the activism stuff. That's fine. That's okay. My Substack is my creative place and the people who find me are my people. Oh, I love that. It's my creative place. That feels another part of this spark work, the part that I really identify with both because strangely, I've struggled with it. But I also see so many of the women I've worked with in different contexts over your struggle with it. Just that this is my space. This is the way I want it to be. This is how I want to express my spark. I love that. I can feel that all the way through my body. So I like to ask everybody the last question. I haven't recorded a podcast episode in so long. Let's see if I actually remember what the question is. But I think it is, what are you going to learn next? What are you excited about learning next? If I didn't get it right, everybody, sorry. When you were talking about my writing, I just had sort of a little bit of epiphany talking to you, which is I'm a writer. I've never thought of myself as that before. I thought that I'm a decent writer. I thought I am writing a book. I am writing on Substack. But when we were talking, it made me think I'm a writer. I've struggled a little bit with how do I introduce myself to people? My mm-hmm. husband and I are about to go on a trip to Japan with other couples. And I'm like, what mm-hmm. am I going to say? I do. Mm-hmm. There's some ego there, but you know, <laughs> it's okay. We all have it. We have I identities. Then, <laughs> yeah. Have I just retired from uh, running a nonprofit? You know, who am I and, and what am I? And, and, and sort of the feeling I had when you were saying that is I'm a writer. What I'm excited about continuing to probe is how to get better mm-hmm. at being a writer. I love helping you write this book, not help you, but coach you on writing this book. No, it's, I, it's, I could, and let me just be clear. I could not do it without you for a couple of reasons. One is the ADHD needs a deadline. I'm not even sure. I, as you may have seen with my book proposal, if I don't have a deadline, I'm going to do it all in two days. Yes. But, let's not do that. So, so the fact that I owe you in my mind, 2000 mm-hmm. words every week yeah. is incredibly helpful. But the other piece of it is I, I have no idea how people would do this without a book coach because I don't feel like going the wrong way and wasting my time when mm-hmm. someone can give me someone who is an expert can give me the perspective and say, before you spend too much time there, mm-hmm. go over here. I think that's that's so valuable. For those of you who don't know what I do as a writing coach and a book coach, I help you develop your idea. Shannon came to me with a general idea that Maria Shriver was interested in her writing. 
And I said, that's really cool, but that's not really a book idea yet. Let's dig in. What do you uniquely have to say? Who is it really for? I believe greatly in having a concept of a reader who has a particular curiosity or problem, something that they really want to learn about or change, and then there's obstacles in their way. And really identifying that much more than, oh, this is someone who's 37 and you know lives in Des Moines. Although you can do that kind of work too. And then what's the promise that you're making that reader? And we keep working those. What's your desire? What do you have to say? Who is this for? What is the promise? Until they really sing in a way that you can see where it would go in the bookstore. And then we start developing the table of contents, not the table of contents like you see in a pretty printed book, but a rough I call working table of contents that really shows you what is the span of this idea? What is the arc? Where does the reader start at? And where do I take them to at the end? How am I delivering that promise? And then we start writing and I give you feedback on that writing. Where could it be clearer? Where can you go deeper? Where do you need to weave in a story? Where is it too general? (laughs) That's what a book coach does. And there's lots of ways to write books because book coaches, they're expensive. I work with one. It's, It's not the only way to write a book. It's a great way. And I think it saves a ton of time and trouble but it's not where everyone's at financially or in terms of their commitment or how much time they can give. So I never want you to think that's the only way to write. And there's also so many amazing kinds of writing in the world besides just writing books. So there's my cheerleading for book coaching and against it. (laughs) I'm so excited to have this uh, uh, book out in the world in a while. And I'm so excited to uh, get to walk with you on this. Shannon, thanks for talking to us. Mm, Thank you for having me, John. And if you want to follow Shannon and see what she's writing, go over to substack.com and search for Playing With Fire or Shannon Watts. And you can subscribe for free. Right now, all of her content is free, but if you want to comment, you need to pay because she's keeping the trolls out. And she's really an amazing writer and writing, as she said, about all kinds of things. Will we have any more Create Out Loud podcast episodes? I love it when you write me and tell you tell me that you love the podcast. It means so much to me. If you want to drop a review, it always it always helps. I don't know. I have been asking some other luminary clients that I have if they have time to come in and give an interview. And I'm sure I'll do another um, solo episode here or there. But I'm just going to wait until I feel really inspired for some reason to share with you. Uh, Maybe I'll do one about how to create your own writing retreat. Because again, I lead writing retreats. They're fantastic. But they're not always available. We don't have the time. We don't have the money. And I'm all about making sure that we all get the support we need to create out loud. So I'll ask you, how are you going to create out loud this week? How are you going to take that risk? How are you going to walk into the fire just for yourself? It doesn't have to be public if that's not where you're at. But to feel that fully alive zing of yes. For me, it will be finishing a scene that I'm kind of stuck on in my novel and figuring out why the bobcat has appeared and what her magical powers are. (laughs) All right, everybody, keep creating out loud. Thank you so much for being here.